upon you in all things. We need you desperately when we open your word so that we might understand not just the words, but the intent, the implications that we would take your word as it is and begin to put it into practice in our life. Thank you for being our Father, for loving us as you do, for the grace that we receive each and every day, the mercy that is new every morning, and the privilege we have to, to worship you in this way attend to our time and have it weigh heavy upon us as you see fit unto your glory we pray in Christ's name Amen Please take your Bibles with me and turn in them to Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 I want to begin our time this morning by reading the first 12 verses <clears throat> Luke records it this way, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. According to whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man... It will be forgiven him, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I'm sure if you were here this morning during adult Sunday school, you went away from the lesson in James chapter 2 with a, I would hope or at least assume a heavy heart about your own self in reference to your own life because of what James was talking about there in light of faith. Faith that is talked about, faith that is spoken of, and yet faith that is lived out in a hypocritical way. Faith that shows partiality, that doesn't actually exercise what the Word of God says by way of loving your neighbor as yourself. 
If I were to ask you this morning, are you a hypocrite? How would you answer that? I think it's a good question for us as Christians. And if we are quick with our response, then many of us, if not all of us, would say no, no. At least not by way of defining it as character. That my Christian character isn't one which is to be known as or to be seen as or to be defined as hypocrite. We say what we mean, we do that for the most part at least, our life reflects that reality, so no, I, I'm not, not a hypocrite. But what I am asking is for us to evaluate whether that is actually how we live in our Christian lives. Maybe it would be better to ask it this way. How many times have you studied the scriptures on your own? How many times have you read the word of God in your own Bible reading? How many times have you been talking with a friend who has brought up a, a spiritual uh, reality in your life and brought you to the scriptures to show you what the Bible says about that? How many times have you sat in, like this morning, a Sunday school class or listened to the radio or read a track or listened to the preaching of God's word and walked away from that and been unaffected by it at all? How often has that happened? After all, last Lord's Day, we were reminded that there is a certain demeanor to which God looks upon with favor. We saw it in Isaiah 66 and verse 2. God said it, that there is one to whom I look, to him who is humble, to him who is contrite in spirit, and to him who trembles at my word. There's three characteristics from the mouth of God about those with whom he looks with pleasure. And they're simple. Those are simple realities, and yet they are extremely weighty and massively profound. Highly impacting upon our lives if we will just ponder them with the intent that God desired. But we know what Jesus clearly said in John 13 of those that love him. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it is certain that we do not perfectly keep the commands of Jesus. That is a certain reality of all of us who are Christians. It is definitely a reality of those who do not know Christ at all. We understand keep in that terminology, means obedience, obeying what God says. And while many of those times of disobedience are, are just genuine failure because of weakness, because of faint-heartedness in trusting God, there still remains a genuineness in our hearts about Jesus. There's a genuineness when we, when we say we love him. But even with all of that, there are times when we simply feign our love for Jesus. We, we say we love him, and knowingly, even when we say it, we are not following what he says. 
And the reality is that in those moments, we do not actually trust him. In other words, we just speak words, even though we know what his commands say. We, we just refuse to obey. All the while, we claim to actually love Jesus Christ. And it is in those moments, beloved, that we are actually not, not genuine in our love for Jesus. We are actually hypocritical. We're hypocrites. We are hypocrites in our love for Jesus. We are, just as the word implies, we are play actors. Holding a mask in front of ourselves, a facade in front of ourselves. We are disguising ourselves with a mask of genuineness about our love for God. All the while, we are refusing to obey God. We're just faking it. And the question that, that I want us to, to think about this morning as Christians, I, I, don't, I don't want to stand up here and, 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 and doubt your faith or, or if that would even matter. It's, it's an issue between us and God individually as much as it is our, our interactions with one another in an outward sense corporately as we interact as Christians. But I don't, want to, I don't want us to think on that level this morning. I want us to think about how do we avoid the kind of hypocrisy that I introduce? How do we live genuinely and not as religious hypocrites? How is it do we get past this reality whereby we do hear the Word of God or we interact with the Word of God in some fashion through preaching or reading or some other way and we walk away not doing it? How do we, how do we get past that and get to the place where we actually walk away and do what it says? Well, I think our text this morning helps us with that. It helps us with this. It, it walks us through what I believe four spiritual exercises here. Four spiritual exercises that will help us not be religious hypocrites. We know this is what Jesus was talking about because we read our text already this morning and we know that the previous encounter with Jesus Christ that was just prior to this he had spoken some very hard words for those who were there to hear what he had to say. And, and they left, most of them left rightfully insulted. They left a place not just offended, they left a place actually enraged at Jesus Christ. You remember verse 53 and 54 of the previous chapter when he left there, when Jesus left this lunch engagement that he was called to by the Pharisee, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile. Some of your texts may say vehement. They were, they were outwardly enraged and they began to question him closely on all kinds of subjects why? Because they were plotting against him. They wanted to catch him in something that he might say. They were already in their hearts so incensed with Jesus Christ and the truth that was confronting them that they were already pre-planning their murderous future. The religious establishment was now out to remove Jesus from the scene. They had had their share of Jesus. 
They had had their share of the light shining on them, their share of the truth that was always around when Jesus was around. They wanted nothing to do with that. They were all too comfortable in their own religious hypocrisy. And all of the encounters with Jesus Christ had only made him more hated by the religious leaders. But interestingly, it seemingly made him more popular among the people. It wasn't because they loved him more as a whole. It was simply that they were more curious. Human nature loves a good fight, doesn't it? That's why we like going to hockey games. Let's be honest. We like it. It's not because two teams are playing our favorite team. We just want to see a couple guys box it out on the ice. That's why we do that. We, we, that's why we can't take our eyes off a car accident. You ever been in a traffic jam going one way when the car accident's all the way on the other side of the highway? Why? Because the looky-loos are all wanting to see what happened. And we go by doing the same thing. We can't take our eyes off. This is the same thing. Human nature loves a good fight. In fact, verse 1 even says, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. The continual confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees was a spectacle. But Jesus was also doing a whole lot of miracles, and people are being healed, and demons are are being vanquished from people. Many are hoping that Jesus would become that earthly king that they had always longed for, who would rescue them from the overseers of the Romans. And so the crowds are jostling around, they're crowding. In fact, some historians think that this was probably somewhere between 10 and 30,000 people that were now following Jesus around. They're just there to hear the next thing that Jesus would say because of the mounting pressure from the religious leaders. They would have been many genuine followers, Certainly in the crowd like that, there are some who who genuinely were believing upon Jesus Christ. They would have followed him and they would be reluctant now because of the hostility against Christ to show any kind of allegiance to Jesus. And in a way, those disciples are on the precipice of the same kind of hypocrisy that's in the heart of the religious leader. And so Jesus says to them in verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus begins saying to his disciples first, don't you think, how kind of God that is? How kind of a a holy, merciful, gracious God for God to address his disciples, those who are following him, those who are mathetes, those who are learners of Jesus Christ, Even though he's speaking to his own here, others are hearing it. And so Jesus begins to give ways for avoiding the hypocrisy that he has just exposed. Exercise number one is this. Understand understand what hypocrisy does. Understand what hypocrisy does. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. 
And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. This is a good place to start. Because if you don't know how dangerous hypocrisy is, then you may also not think to avoid it or fight against it. Jesus wants his disciples to know that hypocrisy has a permeating danger. We already made reference to it, but just to remind us again, hypocrisy means to play the part. That's what it means. In other words, it demands a consciousness of insincerity. Let me say that again. Hypocrisy demands that you be conscious of the reality that you're not being sincere. You're play-acting, and sadly, it is part and parcel to our fallen nature. Hypocrisy is part and parcel to who we are by way of our fallenness. Why? Because men love the darkness, the Bible says, rather than the light because their deeds are evil. The natural heart loves darkness. And so it will do like the father in darkness, the father of lies, it will act as if it is someone of light. So it isn't seen for what it really is. Men are evil. And therefore, they must hide their evilness. And to hide their evilness, they must be and do things that appear different than who they are. That's hypocrisy. This is why James, in James chapter 2, that they were looking at this morning in adult Sunday school, James says, listen, don't show partiality to a rich person and, and thereby discard a poor person. That's not love. That's hypocrisy. It's play acting. You're only saying that you love God. You're saying that you love your neighbor as yourself, but you're acting as if this person is more important than this person. That's just putting on a facade. That's hypocrisy. And the reason we know hypocrisy so well it's because all of us at times live hypocritically. And so to avoid that, we need to understand just what it does. Hypocrisy, Jesus describes here using the metaphor as leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That is simply to say that hypocrisy is not an isolated thing. It doesn't remain by itself. It doesn't remain one small thing. Rather, it permeates everything that it is around and in. Jesus equates it here with that which we understand, leaven. I'm not a baker. I'm married to one, but I'm not a baker. But I know what leaven is. I know what leaven does. You know what leaven does. And it only takes a pinch of leaven to permeate what it's introduced to. It's a fascinating part of nature that God gave us whereby man has figured out that they can put this agent called leaven that comes from something, I don't even know where it comes from in nature, but it's not man-made, it's natural. And they put it in something else, and because of the chemical uh, interactions that take place, it infects everything that it is in doesn't stay isolated this was the religious heart of the Pharisees 
This was their heart. Their heart was a heart of leavening. Their, the, the act of religious morality was only a veneer covering the contaminated reality of their lives. The cover-up, what is actually true, that's what it was. To cover up what is true with a, a pretense of truth that isn't actually true at all. That's hypocrisy. It's fake, and it permeates everything it touches. In fact, we even in our world live by this principle in many ways, particularly here in America when we manufacture furniture. Much of it is made with hypocrisy in mind, not, not a hypocrisy in the sense of... of uh, uh, maliciousness, I, many probably wouldn't even use it that way, but when you go to buy furniture, much of it looks like real wood and it's not real wood at all. It has a veneer on the outside of what is appearance as real wood, but it's not solid wood through and through. It is some other material or it's a laminated plywood of some kind or Something like that. They say you got this oak cabinet, but it's not fully oak. It's just veneer. It's hypocrisy. It's fake. That's what hypocrisy does. It permeates everything it touches. It only looks like the real thing, but it's, it's just on the surface. There's no substance underneath. And notice, and notice here that it deceives the one who engages in it. It deceives the one who engages in it, and you say, how so? By convincing them that what they do will never be discovered. If I play the hypocrite, if I'm a really good play actor, no one will ever know. That may be so, but you will be found out. Notice, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Notice that's comprehensive. It doesn't mean almost everything. It means everything. There is nothing that is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing that is hidden that will not be known. And accordingly, so therefore, whatever you say in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. That ought to frighten all of us who go around whispering in ways to show ourselves something that we're not. Jesus says, beware of hypocrisy. Why? Because it's a game of hiding the false under the veneer of apparent truth that only deceives the one engaging in it. But it never fools God. Never fools God. Beloved, that simply is to say that our hypocrisy may fool undiscerning other humans. We may fool one another, we may fool those others around us, but it will never fool God. And so if we are going to avoid hypocrisy in our own lives, then we must understand that the danger to hypocrisy is self-deception. There is a danger to hypocrisy that when you act out hypocrisy, when you go to the Word of God and you make it a habit of your life to hear the words of God and not do them, you are only deceiving yourself into thinking that you're okay. When in fact, God knows you're not. And one day, 
that self-deception will be seen. There is coming a day when the full disclosure will happen. And everything will be made known. And it will be uncovered in the loudest and most public of ways. Jesus says it will be proclaimed from the housetops. Everything will be known. That is simply to say that what is hidden now will be perfectly exposed. And so what is Jesus implying? What is he implying here? What is he saying to us that, and to, to these disciples that day as they have heard what he has exposed these other Pharisees about? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, avoid future exposure right now. Avoid future humiliating for all the world to see exposure. Avoid that right now. You say, how so? By owning up to the areas of hypocrisy and be genuine in your faith. If you say you love Jesus, then do what Jesus said. Hypocrisy only hides for a time. In the end, God will expose it for all to see. In our lifetime, certainly the secrets of hypocrites are not always exposed. But there is coming a day when God will judge the secrets of men's hearts, as Romans 2.16 says. And he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, 1 Corinthians 4.5 says. I guess that is what the Pharisees and the lawyers hated about Jesus. He was uncovering their fakeness for all to see. Remember remember what he says? You've taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves didn't even enter and you hinder others from entering. That's pretty exposing. Oh, you say you're righteous. You say you, you love the prophets, but you never did what they say. You just like your fathers who killed them, even though you build their tombs. Why? Because you don't follow me. That's pretty exposing. Listen, you weigh men down with burdens to bear, yet you don't even touch it with your littlest of fingers. You won't even barely scrape your finger across what you have other people do. That's exposing. No wonder they felt offended. They should be offended. And their offense should go the right direction. It should go right to their heart and they should turn to Jesus Christ and say, oh, we have failed. How can we ever, ever be right with God? That would be the true way to respond, but they didn't. They responded with anger. They wanted Jesus gone. They're vehement against him. And so he says, beware of them for their leaven. They are leaven. And in time, you'll see it. You'll see its effect. So exercise number one, understand what hypocrisy does. Exercise number two, exercise a healthy fear of God. Exercise a healthy fear of God. A lack of understanding the danger of hypocrisy 
will only lead to a lack of a fear of God in your life. Here's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do to you. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Exercise a healthy fear of God. Jesus knows how hypocrisy works. Jesus knows the fallen heart better than we do. And one of the ways hypocrisy works is that it manifests itself in a fear of man. A fear of man. Fear of what others will say. Fear of what others will think. This is what James 2 is really highlighting, as Neil was bringing out this morning. That you, you show partiality because you fear what someone else might think, or you fear not having what that person might be able to offer. And so what do you do? You hide it under a shroud of hypocrisy. Jesus says, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. That is not the character of those who follow me. The way to avoid that is to fear God rather than man. This is the principle that we have to lock in our minds. We've heard it a thousand times. We know it to be true. The principle is this, a proper fear of God will free you from the fear of men. Write that down somewhere. A proper fear of God will free me from being fearful of men. That is simply to say that if you fear what others think, if you find that to be going on in your life and in your heart, if you fear what others think, then the reality is you are not fearing God. Remembering this week, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the reformer. We're all familiar with Luther, faced with certainly mounting opposition to his faith. He's asked to recant of all of his writings concerning justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. And all of it spoke against the Pope's and their edicts and all that they said about their authority and the authority of the church, all that Martin Luther wrote and all he stood against was the reality of that, that Jesus Christ was sufficient and the popes were meaningless in that. And so when he was brought before the council, he gave this answer to his accusers who said, do you stand on everything you've written? Are you going to recant of that? And of course, Martin Luther was sober-minded about all these things. He said, this touches on God and his word. This affects the salvation of souls. And of this, Christ said, he who denies me before men, he, him I will deny before the Father. He said, to say too little or too much would be dangerous. Give me some time to think it over. They were rather shocked that he wanted even more time. But Martin Luther was really wrestling with the reality in his own heart as to the veracity of all of this and what the implications were. 24 hours later, 
Of course, he gave his final answer when they said, do you recant? He said, unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason. Why? Because I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. So unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. Why? Because to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. God help me. The fear of God freed Luther from the fear of men. The fear of God freed martyrs who were tied to the stake from the fear of men. It was the fear of God that allowed Stephen to be sitting there before his accusers and preach the word of God to them without fear, even though they stoned him to death in the next moment. In Acts chapter 5, it was the fear of God that led all of the apostles throughout their ministries, in the end, only to be martyred. It is that same fear of God that will free us today. We need the fear of God in the evangelical church like nothing else. We must, beloved, we must stand with him who cannot just take our breath, but he can throw our souls into eternal torment. We must stand with him. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1 verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. It isn't the end results of wisdom. It isn't where the fruition of wisdom gets. It's not where all the wisdom of God will get you to that place where you fear God. No, the fear of God is the very beginning of right living. It's the very beginning of wisdom. It's interesting, the dictionary, even in our own day, gets it right. They define the fear as this. Fear is all. Or the emotion of dread, veneration, and wonder variously mingled as a profound and humbly fearful reverence inspired by deity or something sacred. They got it right. I read Psalm 33 this morning. You might not remember what verse 8 said. It said, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Philippians 2 clearly tells us that one day a day is coming when all the world will in fact fear God, even though they may not agree with and accept God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it is a clear reality of our lives that when we live hypocritically, we have convinced ourselves that God does not see it. And therefore, when we live hypocritically as convincing ourselves that God does not see it, it is an act of no fear of God in our eyes. When we hear the word of God say, go and do this and we refuse to do it. What we are saying is, God, I don't fear you. I don't fear you. Why should I do it? If we feared God as we ought, then there would be no way we would ever convince ourselves to live contrary to his word. 
Why? Because he's the one who sees everything and he has the power and authority to cast us into hell. So Jesus says, don't fear men. Why? Because God is much more powerful than any man. And notice, you are more precious to God than any man. Notice verses 5 through 7. Or notice verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered, but do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Is Jesus saying? He's simply saying, listen, God's special providence over you is another reason you ought not fear men. God is more powerful than anything that can come against you, so there's no reason for you to fear. But know this, you are more valuable to God than any other thing. Not because of your value by way of worth, but because of what God has made you to be. Sparrows are cheap. Back in that day, you could buy five sparrows for two cents. Value is so small, but not one of them does God forget, Jesus says. Jesus knows them all. They're, they're in our minds, I mean, com comparative to the human realm, comparative to you as God's child. They're, they're meaningless, and yet God knows all of them. God's providence is so great. God's providence is so comprehensive that even something so insignificant doesn't get lost to his care. And so if the little insignificant thing could never be lost to his care, what does that make for you? You're more valuable to God than the sparrow. Oh, and say, but wait a minute. There's so many contingencies. There's so many things out there. I mean, there's so much going on. How in the world can God do all of that? Don't think for a moment that in this vast world, beloved, somehow you will be lost and God doesn't know where you are or what is going on with you. That can't happen. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. I know, I know what some of you are saying. That's not a hard job for God. <laughs> I was looking it up, by the way. The human head has approximately 140,000 hairs. Just your head, let alone your body. 140,000. God knows why, because God put each one of them there and he knows when one is removed. Again, so what is Jesus saying? He's simply saying this. Nothing is so insignificant that God doesn't know or God doesn't care. So have no fear of men at any time. Why? Fear God. Because God is there. God's omniscient over it all. He knows every detail so fear him and you won't live hypocritically. You won't play act. You won't be somebody you're not. So understand what hypocrisy does. It affects everything. It's like leaven. And exercise a healthy fear of God. Number three. Exercise number three. Publicly profess allegiance to Christ. 
publicly profess allegiance to Christ. Verse 8, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, before we get too far into this, I just want you to understand, we're talking about the character of the heart. right? Because somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, well, didn't Peter deny Jesus? Yes, but that certainly wasn't his character. Peter repented when Jesus looks at him and he understands exactly what Jesus said before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. Repentance is the reality. Notice that Jesus gives two statements in order to motivate us to confess him. One is positive, one is negative. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who, negatively, he who denies me before men, that same denial will take place before the angels. In other words, faith in Christ, beloved, involves confession of Christ. Let me say that again. Faith in Christ involves confession of Christ. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, how does all that work? He says, because with the heart one believes and is justified, right? That declared righteous before God, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In other words, shows the reality of salvation. It isn't in the matter of their confession by which they're saved. Their justification happened by belief in Jesus Christ. It's the reality of that justification that comes out. They're showing the reality of their salvation. They are saved. That is simply to say that genuine faith always, always, always manifests itself in verbal confession. And so it's true in the opposite as well. A lack of desire, a lack of willingness to confess Jesus Christ as Lord before others is a sure warning sign that you better check your faith. Here's how James says it. Faith without works is dead. Dead. Confession is that outworking. Genuine faith confesses Jesus Christ. It's only unbelievers who deny to confess That's why Jesus says it'll be unbelievers who are denied in heaven before the angels of God. Those who deny me, that is someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's the character and nature of their life. They they just deny Jesus Christ. They'll be denied in heaven. In fact, remember what Jesus said to the disciples back in chapter 9, verse 26 He's saying to them all, right, in verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So there's this allegiance to Jesus Christ that manifests itself out in a self-denial and and an outworking to follow Jesus Christ to, to do what he says. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. In other words, you have to turn from your own self, turn from your own righteousness, turn from your own religion, In your own way to get saved, turn to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. What is it a profit of man if he gains the whole world and yet 
loses or forfeits himself. And then he says, verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. To profess a love for Jesus and not publicly confess Jesus is hypocrisy. Just hypocrisy. So understand what hypocrisy does. Exercise a healthy fear of God. Publicly confess allegiance to Jesus Christ. And then number four, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And everyone who speaks a word, verse 10, against the Son of Man, I will, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how, you, how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The question on our mind is, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? That's what we, you come to this passage, you go, okay, I read, I read that, I, I hear the words, what is that? Well, it's in a simple way, it's just this. It's, a, it's to attribute the work of the Spirit to something that is not of the Spirit. To attribute the work of the Spirit to something that is not of the Spirit. And we saw it in our previous text in Luke's study, but you see this also in John 14 through 16. To deny Jesus as the Messiah was blasphemous against the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it is the Spirit who testifies the truth of Christ. It is the Spirit who testifies about Jesus Christ. And so to deny Jesus Christ is, is in a sense to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because it's to say, Jesus isn't what you say. Luke chapter 11 it was 14 to the 26, we saw that going on. It was this blasphemy against Jesus Christ that his casting out of demons was by the power of Satan. They were attributing the work of God to Spirit concerning his testimony about Jesus. His, Jesus is being testified to the people by the Spirit of God working through Jesus in casting out demons that he is God in the flesh, and yet they're attributing it to Satan. Jesus says that's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. Why? Because when a person does that, they have cut themselves off from the only source of salvation. There is no salvation. If you cut the Spirit out, which is to cut Jesus out, there is no salvation. It is the Spirit who gives testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit who does the regenerating work of God. And if the work of God is believed by you to be something else, by your own works, by your own efforts, by some other means, then there's no means of salvation for you. And what you have done is just attributed the testimony of Jesus as something invalid. I think we get a a glimpse of this in Hebrews. 
the book of Hebrews, when he is talking about the faith of people who feign this idea that they believe and just go on living in their sinful life, the habitual sin of their life without thinking that it's going to have any kind of impact upon them at all. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You see, if that hypocrisy is the outworking of your life by way of you say you love Jesus, but you willfully just go on always, this is your character, continually disregarding the truth, not worried about it. Hey, I'm just going to go live however I want in my sin of my life. Then all you're doing is blaspheming God and there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. Why? Because you trampled underfoot the only one who can save you. And if you're truly saved, then you're truly changed. And if you're truly changed, you have a desire to do what God says. And if you do what God says, you have a fear of God in your heart, which manifests itself out in an obedience to the things of Christ. Oh, certainly not perfectly, but genuinely. Genuinely de desiring to do what God says, genuinely striving at it and, and working at it and 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 working out your salvation in your life with fear and trembling, as Peter said. I believe that's why Jesus finishes with the words that he does in 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Some say, well, I, I don't know. I'm just fearful of, of what somebody might ask me, the kind of questions somebody might ask me. Why are you fearful about that? Just tell them about Jesus. Just go tell them what Jesus did for you. In times of severe trial, tell them what Jesus has done for you. Don't be overcome by the things of the flesh. Worry about your standing, how you might answer for Christ. Don't worry about whether your faith's going to fail or not. Just trust the Spirit. It's by the Spirit that we have the power to stand. It's by the Spirit that we have the power to speak. It's by the Spirit that we proclaim truth. Stephen, Paul, Luther, all the apostles, every genuine believer throughout the ages has remained faithful and strong, not by their own strength, they didn't do it because they had somehow mustered up enough energy to stand strong. No, by the Spirit of God. He was a divine helper. So Jesus said he would send. We have been given the Spirit. John 14 through 16 says, we have a divine helper with us. That's not a, don't think about being ready Phraseology. That's not a, hey, just let go, let God, I'll just fly by the seat of my pants and everything will be good. No, we are commanded to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, aren't we? 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 clearly tells us that. We are to be ready. So we are to study to show ourselves approved. We are to spend our time in the Word of God. We're to know the Word of God. We're all those kind of things. And when the time comes, all the Spirit uses all that. The Spirit sustains us in all of those situations. But Jesus says you need to trust Him. Don't turn your back on the Spirit like the Pharisees are doing. That's, that's hypocrisy. So Jesus says, don't miscalculate the Spirit. Don't miscalculate the work of the Spirit. So we began with a question. Do we act with hypocrisy? Let me ask it again. Do we act with hypocrisy at times? I think our answer would be yes. Yes. We can learn not to. How? By understanding what hypocrisy does. Affects everything. Affects everything. If you're hypocritical in one little thing, certainly you can be sure you're hypocritical in other things. So exercise a healthy fear of God. He has authority over everything. Remember that. Wake up thinking of that. Wake up knowing that. Live by that. And then publicly profess your allegiance to Jesus Christ. He's your only hope in everything. And then don't miscalculate the work of the Spirit. He's always with you. And He always testifies of Christ. That's what He testifies to. Nothing else. It's always Christ. Well, I think that's enough for today. Let's pray. Father, I guess each one of us here today include myself, could say, Father, be merciful to me, the chief of sinners. The chief of hypocrites. So much time in your word, so much time with Christ, and yet so much time not living it out. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for loving us in such a way that you would tell us exactly where our hearts are, expose us to these things. Father, we know again that without faith in Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And certainly here in our midst, there are those who do not know you. Oh, Lord, maybe they're sitting right now just saying, I can't wait till this is over. Lord, I pray in this very moment because your spirit works that you would convict their hearts and not let them rest until they turn to you. And all of us here this day, may we walk out these doors this morning with a greater faithfulness to you than when we came in. May the fear of you be on our mind, on our hearts, and the confession of our Savior be right there on our lips. So that when we are asked to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, your name is right there. And we proclaim it proudly no matter what happens to us. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.